Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Welcome to Get the Table, another Wrestling Roundtable discussion podcast with myself, Adam Wilborn, one of the Dudley Boys, Michael Hamflet from What Culture, and Andy Murray from What Culture, here to discuss another burning wrestling issue. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts. Where we review Raw, SmackDown, NXT, Dubai, oh! AW Dynamite, AW Rampage, pay per views, bloody premium live events, what they're calling them nowadays. We have interviews. <laughs> Roundtable discussions and a roundup of the week, complete with a league quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, though, joined by Hamlet and Andy and gents, we are gathered here today to sort of discuss the state of AEW. Maybe to fix AEW Dynamite somewhat, to discuss whether or not AEW's in a bit of trouble, and it's all sort of been sparked, Andy by this week's episode of AEW Dynamite. Because I think we discussed this on the news. I think it's fair to say that there have been flashes of brilliance in recent weeks in AEW, but I've not been able to escape the feeling when we've been reviewing it that it has gone into a bit of a slump in recent months. Is that fair? Oh, yeah, it's absolutely fair. I think that people will point to things like Danielson uh, Page mm-hmm. and the the generally very, very good, if not great, if not the best thing in the promotion feud between MJF and CM Punk as maybe uh, counterpoints to this. But for the most part, taking the show as a whole and the way it moves from segment to segment to segment... I think it's absolutely fair to say that it's in a creative slump at the moment. This week's episode on its own, when you factor matches, in-ring segments, backstage segments, anything that could be described as an interruption, there was 18 of them across two hours. And it gets to the point where the discussion is like, yes, it's episodic weekly wrestling TV show. You need to find ways to move to the next point in the storyline without just pinning people, yes. you know, without without CM Punk and MJF wrestling each other once and then that's it. You've got to use these techniques, but you've got to use them sparingly. And it's gotten to the point often, and it was really hammered home with this week's episode of Dynamite, uh, Michael Sidgwick, our esteemed colleague, used the word parody, and I don't think that's a stretch at all. Um, when you're sitting there and you can see every single beat of the story or the segment or whatever's developing coming, and uh, you've already sat through 10 interferences or whatever, it's not a whole lot of fun in general. This week's episode in particular felt kind of like a copy-paste almost of just some of the... <laughs> most tired tropes in wrestling, the kind of things that we've just grown really weary of through years and years and years of, you know, one way of doing things in American wrestling. And it's a real shame. 
it feels like a lot of the spark that was there when Dynamite was at its best is kind of blunted a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's you know you still see it in moments. Mentioned the MJF Punk stuff and the Page Page Danielson, but yeah, no, absolutely. I think this is subjective stuff. I'm sure there yeah. are loads of people out there who are totally fine and totally cool with all these interferences and all these guys coming backstage and going, "No, this is my segment now, Kevin." Um, <laughs> but. For me, yeah, absolutely. And this week was the worst of what has been kind of a dreary bunch. Really? One, of, one of the, uh, I mean, it's cage match. They take it with a pinch of salt, of course. But one of the, I think it was the top three worst dynamites in terms of cage match rating last time I checked. It was this dynamite just sort of the straw that broke the camel's back? Because we were sat there with with Sige, obviously, uh, who was saying, you know, how, how night and day this was when you compare this Dynamite to February 2020, which he obviously holds to such a high standard. It was the real peak of AEW in many people's opinions. The fact we were comparing this week's Dynamite to Monday Night Raw speaks volumes, doesn't it? It absolutely does, yeah. I mean, you know, we can only take what some of the small men that leave ratings on Cage Match with a certain pinch of salt... <laughs> But I'm glad we've brought up numbers in general because the 18 counted interferences by Andy Murray uh, bring to light kind of in a more factual fashion what is always subjective, which is your opinion on a wrestling show. We can come in every week and as we do on podcasts and as we do in the office because we love this stuff, we can discuss it and have uh, things we agree on and things we disagree on. But 18 cases of a thing where ideally you should be having none or one at best have kind of highlighted to me um, that the minor slump AW's felt like it's been on for a little while, not throughout the whole show, just in elements, has started to become the um, rule rather than the exception. I think that's the way I would call it at present. It is still very easy to look at AW's product as a whole and highlight things you really like. Um, when we're talking about Monday Night Raw, it's often because that three hours is so intimidating if there's nothing you're excited about, mm. and that does happen. You know, And I'm not just saying that as somebody that watches it for review purposes. I'll live it as a fan as well. And if there are no angles or wrestlers or anything that you can emotionally attach yourself to, it's so daunting thinking, how am I going to get three hours out of this? Even when it's not objectively bad, even when they follow the basic tenets of professional wrestling, if it's not entertaining, it's a hell of a hard shift. And how rare is it that we have those weeks where they follow the basic tenets for a full three <laughs> hours? In Dynamite's case, there are always things that you like. There are always things that draw praise. I would say even in Rampage's case, it's only an hour. And even then, there'll be yeah. something in a week, whether it be one of the matches or one of the vignettes or something. Ne I can never remember a time where an entire episode of AEW was a complete disaster. So what that tells you is the spine of the promotion wants to do best by its fan base, wants to do best by its talent, and indeed by its you know its network, its fee payers. Um, but we are watching it as we do, uh, with a fine-tooth comb and with a fairly microscopic lens. You are starting to see a little bit of sloppiness creeping in, mm. some slapdash with some of the angles, um, some repetitiveness, that distinct feeling that right now there is a, a kind of, to use a, a Triple H word, there is a certain playbook that they are going to once too often, which may or may not, but may reveal... Um, like a slight creative negligence that you'd like to see them address sooner rather than later. Before we get into to whose fault that all these issues are, we talked about being a slump for a while now. So where did it start going wrong for you? I mean, again, it's just, it, this is all subjective yeah. and people might disagree. I felt a certain drop-off um, probably at some point between All Out and Full Gear, which is strange to say, considering that they were building to the big Kenny Omega Hangman page payoff. And that, to try and like back up my own point here, 
we can think about that period just around that angle and think, wow, they are going to land one of the longest ranging like North American wrestling angles in forever. And they're going to land it really well as well as they did at full gear. But it sort of felt like a lot of dynamite was becoming inessential. Um, I'm a like slave to the show sometimes and I'll stay up at stupid o'clock to watch <laughs> it. Like it airs at one o'clock our time. And there were weeks where I could not resist at least half of the card. And then that half of the card would come all in the first hour. <laughs> And the second hour would feel like quite hard work. And I thought that was a formatting problem. It was like, oh, they've given you so, so much in this first hour there. The opening match that goes without commercials or the first promo between those two characters that you couldn't wait to see interact was so cool. Maybe they just need to spread it out differently. Maybe they just need to pepper things in rather than just giving you all this good stuff. It turned out that maybe they were slightly running dry on Mm. the good stuff. And one of the reasons those second hours uh, were falling away as they did was because either they didn't want to or they didn't have the combinations of the all-star matches all of a sudden. I distinctly remember a period, and our esteemed colleague that isn't with us today, Sidrick, referenced it in relation to the women's division, but it's starting to creep in across the men's and the tags, was that there wasn't enough just all-star matches. It was like the, his take was the division needed stars versus stars rather than this attempt to gradually bring everybody up. I think that's happened in the men's singles and the tag singles as well. AW, and I earnestly believe this, works as hard as it can in its match pairings and combinations to genuinely give people what they want. Have we not all had in the last couple of years a match graphic days before a dynamite that you did not think in your wildest dreams you would get? I'm sure there's one spring in your minds now. There is ones for me. That has disappeared a little bit, and it's trying to work out from an outsider's point of view if that's by accident or by choice. Mm. I hope it's the former because I worry if it's the latter where the, Murray said it, spark, where they can find that creative spark again to bring those graphics back. They've got a large and diverse roster. So large, in fact, that they're often criticised for it. Yeah, we'll get to that. He, Tony Khan, he, AW, they are not short of toys to play with. Start playing with the most fun ones again because <laughs> it sometimes feels like you're saving them for uh, an undisclosed and unclear reason. It is surreal to be saying that this slump's happened in the last few months when you think that the last few months encapsulate people like Brian Danielson, Adam yeah. Cole, and <laughs> CM Punk being brought in alongside, like you say, Hangman Page's uh, rise to becoming AW yeah. World Champion. Yeah, it's kind of nuts, isn't it, when you think of all... And it's probably why the point might sound insane to some people who are listening or viewing this right now. You, they'll be sitting there pointing at the Danielson-Page matches, which were both excellent. Um but it's definitely there, and I do think that you know that window between All Out and Full Gear is around about where this kind of started becoming a little bit muddled and a little bit less focused and not quite as exciting on a week-to-week basis. Um, you've had the big bombastic moments, and they've all been great. CM Punk's return was something I will never forget. Um, there's loads of other examples, and uh, you know there are gems here and there. The Hikaru Shida Serena Deep feud has been awesome yeah. uh, across the board. Um, but it has been just been the disintegration of weekly practices for me. Um, things just slowly whittling away to we're at the point where we are now. I do think that uh, Tony Khan's conservatism as a booker is well known. Everyone knows the guy likes to preserve the big matches and, you know, we're going to hold off on this as far as we can for maximum gratification. I'm not going to give this away. It's kind of the uh, like the total opposite of what Triple H was doing when he was booking NXT opposite <laughs> yeah. AEW on Wednesday evenings. And that's probably part of why one side won the war mm-hmm. and the other one is now on Tuesday nights. Um, 
But is it, are we now reaching the point where he does have to start pulling the trigger a little bit and loosening up a little bit on some of these all-star matches? And perhaps we don't need to be so conservative with everything. We've seen several feuds in AEW, and you can probably make a list of them. The one that always comes to mind for me is Orange Cassidy and Chris Jericho, where it's long-term storytelling technically, but it's too long-term <laughs> storytelling where we've got this thing and it'll run for four or five months and by the end you know we'll hopefully deliver a satisfying payoff but often by the end people have kind of tuned out a little bit and it becomes a case of diminishing returns um, another recent example with that would be the struggles between uh, Ty Conti, Anna J, the Bunny, and Penelope <laughs> yes. Ford, which it felt like a combination of them was wrestling on TV every single week for a long time. Fortunately, we got that awesome blow-off match on Rampage, which absolutely ruled. The payoffs are so often great. This is Arcade it. Anarchy always yeah. springs to mind. Like, nobody wanted Kip Sabian and Miro and the best friends as long as they did. And look how awesome it was when we finally got the So payoff. maybe we're wrong because they got to the right end. <laughs> but, I think, uh, but I think that's the problem. I think the end justified the means for so long, especially because so much that happened during the pandemic. But the means should still be fun. Yeah, yeah. like the means are what make the episodic television so gripping. And they're back in front of full arenas now. And yeah. I think it was absolutely fair that we held them to, uh, we have always held AEW to a high standard. And I think that's what AEW would like. You know, but I think we held them to a high standard during the pandemic because it was so hard to produce engaging wrestling television week on week. None of us want to go back to that era, you know, um, get vaccinated. But in the meantime, now that crowds are back, um, they maybe need to, like, completely change mindset. I always imagine it like a whiteboard because I always think of Chris Kresge's run in 2000 WWE and his storyboard and, like, all those uh, columns on the whiteboard, week one, week two, week three, whatever – if everything in the pandemic was, let's say for argument's sake, eight weeks, just throw a number out there. We have live crowds now. We have an extra hour of television. Um, I would argue that you shave two weeks off everything. You know, I know you're working pay-per-view to pay-per-view, but there are too many angles at the moment that feel like they're existing for existing's sake. The last thing, Battle of the Belts, we're recording this just a week after Battle of the Belts, right? And I, don't th I thought that was far from the worst AEW show ever. Like it was perfectly acceptable wrestling. At times, it got very good, but because of circumstances within the TBS move, and maybe because what AEW were promised versus what they've been permitted to deliver, I think there was issues there. And I maybe think they thought, well, if you can't give us what you promised, we're not going to offer that back. So I think there was maybe a bit of push and pull there. That was the first time, maybe ever, to me that an AEW show felt like an obligation. How much WWE feels obligatory? I think that's worse than bad is when a show starts to feel like an obligation. Again, ignoring the political reasons as to why that might be, the card itself felt like it existed because it had to, not because of this awesome feeling that we get approximately four hours before showtime on a Wednesday where the big matches are coming and the things that you're excited about, you cannot wait to arrive. I had none of that before Battle of the Belts and I had none of it during or after. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. 
United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful too for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. Hamlet touched on an interesting point there, which is you're in instinctively want to place the blame for this dip in AEW immediately at the feet of Tony Khan. It's not fair to place all the blame on him, is it? I mean, it's it's not just uh, everyone involved in planning out these shows. It can even be some of the performers who've dominated when maybe, I mean, I know we think that they probably shouldn't have, uh, and the difficulties with networks. If Battle of the Belts had been two hours, I think it's a very different show, for example. Yeah, for sure, for sure. There are lots of reasons why that show wasn't what was originally hoped uh, hoped by fans and, I presume, people in AEW as well. Um, I think that the modern North American pro wrestling booker, in particular, has an extremely difficult job. Anyone who's booking week-to-week television, wrestling television, it's already tough anyway because of this just multitude of moving parts and all the different people and parties and stakeholders involved and full-time job in and of itself. But particularly in this era, it's nigh on impossible, I think, because we're at a point now with wrestling consumption and we've been, you know, in in America, we've been so used to the WWE way because they had the monopoly for years and years and years. Disqualifications, countouts, that's how we continue feuds. That's how we keep them going. We do these things. AEW set out their stall very early on to try and differentiate themselves from that and say, we're not going to do DQ. And they've not they've not done, you know, multitudes of DQs. No. And they've not done loads of countouts and stuff. Um, distractions, whatever, whatever. We've already talked about those interrupt, interruptions. They've done those. Um, but the audience won't accept DQs or, or countouts and things like this at this point because we're so sick of them from other channels. Yes. Like, generally, those things that are met with eye rolls when you're watching Raw and SmackDown, and understandably so, because they're a crutch. They're over-relied on. They're spammed. They're oversaturated. Uh, they're a pain in the ass. <laughs> uh, so clean finishes kind of became this bastion when AEW came around and was also a big reason a lot of people would have gotten to New Japan uh, over the past few years preceding this. It's the first for something different. Going back to the way wrestling used to be, wrestling at some point during the 90s and the 2000s forgot the simple things. We're going back to it. We're doing clean finishes. You can't do clean finishes every week for three years is the problem we're running into now. So the problem Tony Khan has and what makes the job so difficult 
is that he has to balance that. He has to find ways to keep these storylines going on while also preserving the matches. The solution at the moment appears to be lots of interruptions, lots of people on the outside, lots of guys uh, accosting each other backstage, uh, things of that nature. That's what's transpired on TV. So I don't envy him in his task at all. Uh, He's got a very difficult job. And Vince McMahon and his... 70 reality TV writers or whatever Tony called them. They've got a tough job as well. They've got a tough job as well. Um, I think what we're going through at the moment, and this is the optimist in me, is something of a teething process, a growing process, a transitionary period where he's going to try and find the balance between these techniques, which can be used to effect, but only in moderation. Um, I think he's still figuring that out. At the end of the day, for me, when when creative hinges almost solely on one guy, and we know people have input and wrestlers are encouraged to come forward with ideas and there's the EVPs, oft, often discussed EVP roles and their level of involvement. But ultimately, when assessing a product, it should come down to the guy signing off on stuff. And in that case, it's Tony. Um, this is a rough run. But I think for the bulk of Dynamite's, what, two and a half year run or whatever, the show's been good and it's rewarded your investment and it's been an enjoyable experience. We're st- I think we had a bigger blip last year, honestly. Mm-hmm. I think the Friday Night Dynamite run um, was even kind of more of a struggle than this one. Uh, they weren't giving a whole lot away on Fridays, understandably, because fewer people were watching it and yada, yada, yada. Um But yeah, man, it's a really difficult situation. Uh, I have trust and confidence in the the team and Tony and his guys and whoever else is pulling strings to find that balance. But at the moment, I think we're going to have to get through a few episodes of Dynamite like this. It does go both ways when like bookers, writers, whomever have fantastic runs. They have, over the period of, say, in this case, it's like, what, two and a half years now for Dynamite. Um, any run of that length, or even slightly less than that or more, um, earns another period of time that is just based completely on trust. They, and I'm not saying Dynamite's anywhere near some of the way that like shows have gone off the cliff in the past. But all these bookers, like legendary bookers, have great runs, and then gradually they fall off, and that tends to be the way it's gone. I'm not saying that's happening to Tony Khan mm-hmm. now, but before you kind of acknowledge that, yeah, this is gone. There's always a period of grace where you want them to turn the nose up. Some do, some don't. And obviously it remains to be seen how that will go for Tony Khan. I think he's absolutely worthy of any criticism he gets right now because he was absolutely celebrated, rightfully so, for the praise he got at the time. You know, you do, it, you, you get both. It is that, uh, it's that sort of poison chalice, I guess, of being in a position when things are all good. You know, you put on other people's shoulders when things are bad. All things point towards you. Um, whether or not they'll make a change in that regard and like he'll want to reduce some of his workload or he'll double down and think, well, I have to work even harder on this to fix this. Um, but it's not, and I, like, I think we probably need to make this clear across all of our coverage. Scrutiny of this nature, which in this case is just us having a conversation as fans as much as we are like paid to talk about this, um, is worthwhile. I'm not interested in bad faith debates or just heavily negative and lazy, lazily criticised mm. um, sort of takes on any wrestling show. But WWE made itself sort of Teflon to scrutiny by being often so awful, subjectively speaking, yes. but often so awful that a lot of people gave up criticising it. They either just stopped watching or emotionally disconnected. It is better to be so emotionally connected that you want a product to be better than no longer care and not be bothered when it goes bad. And we're not here to just to point out the problems with, with AEW and specifically AEW Dynamite. We're also here to potentially offer some solutions how to fix AEW Dynamite. One suggestion 
that has been put forward is the, the bloated roster as is, is being one of the catalysts for all these issues and doing something about that. Is the roster too bloated? I mean, they brought in, they've just brought in Brody King, and I didn't sit there and go, well, they shouldn't have brought him in because I thought it was an incredibly <laughs> impactful debut, and I'm excited to see what he can do. Uh, Andy, I'm sure, is going to talk more about the fact that when certain names come up, you kind of, doesn't matter if you've got 10 people on your roster or 100, you go, well, if they're up for grabs, let's get them. But what do you make about the the, the bloated roster suggestions? I have such mixed feelings on this, you know. Um, part of me is just really standoffish and, oh, it's not my money, sign who you want and I'll just watch the show and you pick the best ones, you know. And so far, touching wood, um, AEW haven't had the need or want or desire to do, like, mass cuts. Wrestlers might get to the end of the contract and if they've not got over or they're not, there, they can go and then maybe come back in the future. I would like AEW to operate like that. You know, deals where wrestlers have the duration of their deal to get and stay over. And if they don't, that's okay. You can go elsewhere and the door is always open, you know. Um, so the roster might sometimes feel big with signings, but we are reaching that point where others are going to be leaving. Not just because the contracts run out, but because some might choose to take their business elsewhere. I think the company's been around long enough that that will occur more. You know, so I think there will be a bit more, I hate this term because I feel like it's used by right-wing governance, but natural wastage, I think businesses like to call it. I think there will be some natural wastage in AW where some will depart and maybe come back another day, but they will depart through that natural movement of talent that you should get in a successfully functioning wrestling promotion. Um, I still maintain that the there is an issue, not just with the number of wrestlers you've got, but how exactly you focus on those wrestlers. Not all can make it onto Dynamite, not all can make it onto Rampage, and Dark exists for lots of reasons, but for that reason as well. But there is a distinct lack of focus on the some of the ones that you are using. So wrestlers, as a fan that doesn't get to watch half of the ancillary stuff unless... Murray's found an absolute gem on Dark and recommends it to me. It was a DDT gift. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I feel like I don't know enough about too many wrestlers on this roster. Um, I'm seeing changes in that regard. I, like, I'm at pains to put over yeah. um, a segment on Dark that featured a bit of a pull-apart between Leila Hirsch and Chris Statlander that was then focused upon for the second... They're two weeks into it, as far as I'm concerned, no matter how long it's been going on in Dark. So that's great. This is what I mean. Like, we're still seeing, you know, roses in the desert, even if this is indeed a desert at all. But... On the other hand, you've got a situation like Malachi Black's at present, where he feels like some kind of wrestling octopus. There is like eight <laughs> different storylines springing off him. And that's too bad, because when he started in AEW, they gave him the awesome Brody Lee adjacent destruction of Cody Rhodes. And then they went on that strange run. And you thought at the time, he's just been pulled into the Codyverse. And then on last night's Dynamite specifically, we're recording this on a Thursday, a lot of the whole show felt like the Codyverse. Everybody was spinning off in several different directions and there was a lot of different views and a lot of, like when it was just consigned to Cody, you could always be like, oh, Cody's going to Cody. Like his stuff's been unfocused for quite a while, but the rest of the roster felt different. All of a sudden, more and more wrestlers feel like they're getting that kind of treatment. You can't map out, and you want to as a fan, you can't map out maybe the next two to three weeks of what they might be up to. Dante Martin and Powerhouse Hobbs fought last night. They also fought back in September when Dante Martin was still in a rivalry with Team Taz. But what next? For Do this is not a podcast question that I'm asking you. <laughs> what next to Dante Martin? Because kind of all he's doing is cycling through Team Taz. It's, it's not inspiring you to think about what these rest should be doing. And AW firing on all cylinders gives all of its characters just enough agency that you are mapping out like their next move or what they might do and what they might turn. I want wrestling Twitter, well, to disappear. But if it can't, 
I want I want wrestling Twitter to be full of all of us here, here. speculating on like our, well, whoever our favorite character is, what they're gonna do, and all of us be like, "Whoa, I never even thought of that." And all of us be having those feelings that you get when 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 AEW is firing as a promotion. Yeah, with yeah. the roster as well. I've, I've yeah. seen people say, "All right, they should put a moratorium on you know six months. They're not gonna sign anyone yeah. else. And they just work with what they've got." But as you often say. No, if that's if, not how it works. Yeah, because Uchikoro Okada becomes available is the one you suggested in the office today. You don't go. Well, we said we weren't going to sign anyone new. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's like, yeah, if an Okada or a Brock Lesnar comes available, you don't sit there and go, oh well, no, actually, I've got this guy on dark who's taking his roster spot. It's nonsense. It's like, I, I when someone you can do good business with and make you money and improve your product with, someone like that becomes available, you sign them regardless of the situation. You don't. Turn your nose up at stars when people, you know, it doesn't mean you go out there and sign everyone that every single wrestling promotion lets go. But if you think you can do something and signing them for your product is going to be good, you bring them in and you worry about the problems later on. Provided you can afford them, of course. Yes. <laughs> you know, Tony Khan's not going out there and going, hey, Okada, have my entire TV rights fees for a year. <laughs> you know, there are business elements of that as well. Um, you solve any perceived bloat as that problem arises. And we are seeing that problem arise. We are seeing a situation where people you want to see on TV more regularly maybe don't wrestle on Dynamite for a month. They just, they're, maybe they're on Dark, maybe they're on Elevation. Um, we've had it with people like Ricky Starks, out, even out with like his neck injury and everything else. We've had it with a bunch of different wrestlers. Deeb, sure, Deeb was egregious, wasn't Deeb, it? Deeb was one for sure. I'm sure the people listening and watching have two or three in their head who they'd love to see wrestle more, personal favorites. Uh, but there are ways to address that and there are ways to solve that. I think people have been conditioned to see Dark and Elevation as just nothing skippable shows, kind of like main event 205 Live equivalents, um, which is a shame um, because although it's on YouTube and I don't necessarily think that those two shows should be treated with the same level of prestige as Dynamite and, and Rampage, those are your flagship shows, um, there is more AEW could do to convince viewers to tune in on a more regular basis. We've seen things like the Sunny Kiss Joey Janela storyline, which has played out on Dark and produced some really good stuff, and there are other examples as well, the recent Layla Hirsch angle, like mm -hmm. you said, uh, which was then brought on to brought on to Dynamite. I think if you put more effort into uh, booking people that people want to see on those shows and involving them in storylines, um, why can't we do a storyline who's a who's a dark regular or an elevation? Sean Dean, why not give Sean Dean a little feud and people a reason to invest in him on dark instead of what these shows often are, which is just a procession of squash matches. And I love squash matches. I'm, yes. I'm a Road Warriors fan. I love squash matches. Um, but when you have 12 of them on a row on the show, <laughs> gets a little bit samey. So I think that that would be a good way to do it. I don't think anyone would be crying, crying. That's really dismissive. I don't think anyone would be upset because I've been upset when my favorites haven't been featured um, about, say, uh, pick a name. Uh, let's go with Ricky Starks. If he wasn't on Dynamite for a month or so, but he was doing some really cool, fun, engaging, character-based stories on darker elevation. You wouldn't be bothered about him not being on TV because he's doing this cool thing over here and you can get your itch scratched there. So I think that's definitely something they could look at. Maybe keep uh, maybe keep dark as the squash match parade and maybe do some more stuff with elevation, tell people they need to tune in. Murray makes a great point there. You know, the diff one of the big differences between dark and dark elevation versus something like two or five live main event or even twitter is that uh half the time with wwe guys you will have to really follow them on twitter you have like uh, one that's come to mind is um nikki cross before she was nikki sh she was trying to book her own 
Hero's Journey Royal Rumble story last year. I don't know if you remember that. It was yeah. like you'd yep. see videos making, like they basically sort of like penetrate the bubble a little bit. And you think, oh, she's obviously developing a bit of a following here. And they put her in the Rumble, nothing happened. Absolutely nothing happened. That was something that she was devising and her fans believed in, but WWE hadn't created. In AEW, I genuinely believe if something was getting over to a far larger degree than they were expecting in the arenas, in this procession of squashes, if if one wrestler had a move in his squashes that was just constantly amazing, very quickly they would be shunted to Rampage or uh, Dynamite. Mm-hmm. I do think that it's not the sort of thing that would hide in the shadows. It would be the sort of thing that they would reward. They, it's, it's important for them to keep up the veneer of a meritocracy. Which again feeds into problems of when things aren't going well because it certainly doesn't feel like a meritocracy when certain people are gobbling up certain spots. But I will say that like the dark and elevation stuff we are missing um, is permitted to be missed for yes. the most part. Yeah. So as we wrap things up in terms of looking to, to, to solve these issues that we've discussed, is it just a matter of time? Is it just waiting to get in closer to the pay-per-view, for example? Because we know that that's when they really start focusing in on the key, the key points, and that's when we start getting the big matches that we want to see. Or, or what what can they do to solve these problems? Um, yeah, no, they, they have to kind of funnel everything in when we get close to the pay-per-view, don't they? Because you can't have undercooked storylines on your pay-per-view. That was a, certainly a problem of AEW very early in its life, but it's definitely something they've looked to address. Um I think that Tony Khan has shown throughout his short promoting career that he is quite quick to identify problems, work on them, fix them, and uh, take steps to ensure that they are no longer problems. And I think that he will address these things. I think he hears what people are saying. Um, He's a very online guy. He's paying attention to things that are being said about his product, and he will have read this and you know we often talk about how they book by the numbers and, and Chris Harrington's spreadsheet <laughs> and all of this uh, and that's obviously an element as well but he's a guy who's going to hear these criticisms not the, I'm not saying he's sitting there listening to our, us dopes on well, YouTube probably. Like, and but, you know, like and subscribe you know, long yeah, bone tones attending. probably got he's not listening directly but they just play it through the loudspeaker before the show yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the whole roster's into yeah. it um, <laughs> I've totally lost my train of thought here um, but yeah for me it is a matter of focus it's a matter of focus it's a matter of going through certain things and maybe agenting things a bit tighter as well. Mm. Um, it was pointed out by a mutual person that me and Hamlet follow on Twitter today. The first two matches on Dynamite this week, and this wasn't even something I even considered while watching it, but it's right there, revolved around a large man softening up a smaller man for somebody else. And it's things like that. We've had examples of similar finishes uh, going one after the other. We had that with... Hobbs versus Martin coming after Punk versus Wardlow this week as well. Um, little things like that, making sure that we don't have, I think it was three out of five matches this week were affected by interference uh, or some other kind of outside involvement. Want a show, guys, want a show. Making sure these repetitive elements don't creep in, that the show is less formulaic across the board and really <laughs> go back to February 2020 and just go, yeah, yeah, we used to do that. Let's do it again. It, you know, some it's, it seemed very simplistic, but just saying no to certain things, i.e., so so and so is doing an interview, whether it's backstage or out there, and so and so comes out and interrupts them. We moan about that every single week. Yeah, well, this is the thing, right? As much as as much as we're analysing a TV show, we're kind of to an extent analysing Tony Khan's mind, aren't we? We're kind of like trying to think like how he sees wrestling, the things that he believes he wants to do, the things that he's willing to sign off on. I mean, he's definitely got a Judas in a Judas in his mind that I'd like to eradicate completely from the show. Wow. But, <laughs> but aside from obvious flaws which you can kind of understand why, there are things that 
if he had, and we know he sort of formats the show with QT Marshall, right? But we don't know who else speaks to him on a daily basis or who contributes or who works with him collaboratively or anything like that. Just using the most recent episodes of Dynamite as an example, I genuinely think there's probably just right now, maybe not enough people suggesting, well, hang on, we've just done that in the last segment. Or the interruptions are uh, like, we're seeing that as a complaint almost every week. How are we going to avoid that? Or, you know, like asking those, it's constructive criticism, really, but it's asking those questions. Vince McMahon has always been criticised to surround himself with yes-men. Always. You know, even when WWE was hot, the whole thing was, oh, well, you know the people around Vince are the people that are just going to tell him what he wants to hear. It just so happened that when it was super hot, the things he was hearing were good things, you know? Um, Tony Khan doesn't want to develop that kind of reputation. You don't want to start seeing dynamites that give you the impression that backstage everybody is nodding along and saying, well, another perfect show, boss. (laughs) You know, you, you want to imagine a safe collaborative workplace for the betterment of everybody inside and outside the company so maybe just whoever is whoever is sort of in that office with him or around that table or the performers themselves who have the opportunity to go and speak for themselves and others i'm not suggesting you open it up because i think they will look at that as the failed model it was in late 2019 but the ability to listen and acknowledge as you know i think we've always been fair with AEW. we've Murray said it on this podcast there that they listen and they watch and Khan is very online for better and worse, but that can be an advantage. You know, you listen to your audience to a point and then you follow your gut instincts and you listen to your trusted advisors. Hopefully these mistakes are that they're mistakes. They're not things that they believe. I don't want them to think that like they're all high fiving backstage and saying, and uh, another hundred out of hundred, we nailed it. I want them to accept that these ones aren't perfect right now and acknowledge minor changes and make, you know, bigger ones for the long-term future. Well, let us know your thoughts on the issues with AEW and how they fix them in the comment section or on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Uh, watch, they can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit on Twitter at... Michael Hamflit. You can follow Andy Murray at... Follow me at Andy H. Murray. The H stands for Hamflit Michael. <laughs> follow me at Adam Wilburn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE, as I said. Uh, and make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. But this has been Get the Table. My thanks to Michael Hamflit, to Andy Murray. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.